Fasten your seatbelts. I'm taking you for the ride of your life. I'm going to show you what this car already did. All right, you primitive screwheads, listen up. I am the monster the breathing men would kill. It might be a tumor. It's not a tumor. I go out of my way for you. I do everything to try and make you happy. I feed you, I clean you, I dress you, and what thanks do I get? I am so, so sorry. Oh, you're fucked. I am the writing on the wall, the whisper in the classroom. Without these things, I am nothing. So now, I must shed innocent blood. Dinner is served. Save yourself from hell. You're listening to the 30-something movie podcast. One movie each week. 30 years in the making. (laughs) It is the 30-something movie podcast. It is Halloween Day. Like this is this episode is coming out on actual Halloween Day. It's not our typical Wednesday, but just be, for a very special movie, it needed to be out on a very special day. So this one is coming up on Halloween Day. This is Alien Three. I have been looking forward to talking about this one for quite a while now, and have been over the course of the years. I think there's been a little bit of a debate between us and some of our actually some of our fellow hosts. We we used to have. One of our co-hosts was Jason. Uh, I remember Jason Ko uh, used to work with us at the school. He and I got into a little debate one time about Alien Three, and he used to—I think he used to refer to me as his one friend that likes Alien Three. And so we would uh, we would talk about that from time to time. And then here and there, we've had a few other folks. I know that uh, Jason and Dee from the Surely You Can't Be Serious podcast have talked about Jason in particular has, has talked about how angry this movie makes him. So I I don't know if. I don't know if we're going to have, I don't know if this is a, what do I want to refer to this as? Is this going to be kind of like our our last Jedi Rise of Skywalker kind of moment uh, with Alien 3 or, or I don't know. I'm, I'm going to spoil it right now. And, and if you've been listening to the show at all in the last few years, you'll know it's not really a spoiler. I love this movie. So that's, that's my take on this. And I have got, for all the different times that I've had people give me grief about enjoying this movie, I have all my reasons why. And they are, they are completely, completely solid reasons, which I am going to share on this particular episode. But I did feel like, because I have heard a little bit of criticism here and there over the years of this one, I did feel like I needed to collect the, the dream team to discuss this one and, and, and at least have one person on my side. So we did, we put out the call, we sent out the distress signal and Rob Perry came back. Our, one of our Patreon co-executive producers, Rob Perry came back for this episode to help me to be my tag team partner on this episode for alien three. So Rob, good to see you again. Glad to be here, John. Gloves Uh, are off. Yes. And Dennis is here as well. Dennis. Hey, hey everybody. How you doing? How you doing? And Patrick. Patrick, how are you? Hey, everybody. How are we doing? So, like I said, we have got the dream team here to discuss Alien 3. Right off the bat, really quickly, I think that we have, some of us have seen multiple versions of this. Dennis, I think you said that you had watched the theatrical version of yes. this one. And Pat, you had seen what is referred to as the assembly cut of this one. Yes. So. 
Okay, so we're yes. gonna have we're gonna have the the breadth of knowledge and viewing experience for this one. But I was telling I was telling Dennis before we started recording, if you get a chance to do definitely go see the one that's referred to as the assembly cut, because that is for as much as I still like the theatrical one, it is a it is a superior movie to see the assembly cut. It's just there's more character development, there's more dialogue, there's, you know, there's just some scenes are, are cut a little bit differently and it's just a, it's a really, really, it's as close, I think, as you can get to maybe the original vision that David Fincher would have had for this movie, so. And and why is it called the assembly cut, not the director's cut? Well, because David Fincher has refused to talk politely about his experience making the movie and a couple of times the 20th century fox has asked him to come back and do his director's cut he said oh, thank you so this is actually taken from work prints and the producers who were involved in the, in the creation of the film took the footage and have not only done the assembly cut as as it was called in 2003 they have gone back and fixed and found more footage and added back into it. It's still called the 2003 special edition or producers or assembly cut, but the version that is out there right now, as of 2010 is better, better called the producers cut because the producers have gone back in and put in even more scenes, alternate takes of scenes and, and continue to improve the movie. The only thing that they haven't done, they didn't Lucas it, and go mm -hmm. back and fix some of, some of the special effects that so it still feels like it it looks it still feels and looks like it did in in the 1993 gotcha. theatrical version so 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 we don't have xenomorph mibuki ha 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 we don't have any of that no, kind of stuff no okay gotcha no we don't have like an awkward stepping on the tail of the, the xenomorph kind of a scene and it is not quite edited just right and yeah hashtag Vasquez shot first. Correct. Okay. Got it. You said alien. They thought you meant illegal alien and she signed up. That's not this movie, though. That was the last movie. But yeah. we will, I'm sure we'll be talking about all of the alien movies, but this one specifically, Alien 3. So very quickly, spoiler alert, we spoil. As we talk about movies, we may mention a movie you've never seen before. We just kind of talk freely here. We don't we do not do any other spoiler alerts other than this. So just kind of be warned. If we start to talk about a movie you don't want to know about, maybe just skip ahead a few seconds and, and uh, continue on. Make sure you visit our website, 30podcast.com, where you can leave a rating for us, leave a voicemail that we can play on the air and respond to. Become one of our co-executive producers via Patreon, just like Rob. You get access to bonus episodes there. So there's a lot of great bonus stuff there. You're getting three bonus episodes a month. One full length and two little short kind of 15 minute episodes there. So head on over there. There's all kinds of other tiers where you can get in the show. Join us on the show as Rob has and as few as the, a few of the other co-executive producers have in the past. So go check it out over there. You can get there from 30podcast.com. I'm trying to think if there's anything else. If there's anything else before we just go ahead and jump on into into the trivia section of this. I don't think so. As I said at the end of our last episode, my soul is prepared, so I'm I'm ready to go. So Sandy San Dimas High School football rules. Yeah, it does. All right. This one is Alien Cubed, and it came out on the twenty second of May, nineteen ninety two, rated R. This one, the assembly cut, is a runtime of two hours and twenty four minutes, directed by David Fincher, although he doesn't want to tell you that. 
He also directed Seven and Zodiac. He really and truly has said, I don't want to have anything to do with this. I don't want to talk about this movie. I don't want to see this movie. One of the reasons why, yeah, it was called the producer's cut or the assembly cut. I think he made a deal, like he gave his blessing to the producers to rework this, but he said, you have my blessing to do this, just don't ever call it a director's cut. He's like, I really don't want to have anything to do with this movie. I hated the experience. I have nothing nice to say about it. Keep me uninvolved. So um, so while David Fincher was the director of this movie, he would probably, he'd probably rather pull an Alan Smithy. Like, wasn't that the name? Alan Smithy was the name of when directors didn't want their name attached to a movie. Yes. Yeah, that is it. Alan. Yeah. I, I can, I can, I can understand that from a workplace perspective. Yeah, I was going to jump in here and just ask a question then. So is is the reason he wants himself distance is because he personally, it was because of the experience with with the studio, correct? Not with... The experience the with the studio. He, he is, he's, he's not embarrassed not, of the movie. Or no, is he, no, he he has has called it, in fact, there's a, there's a quote I have right here that says, there's no, no, no one problem with a 65 million effed up first time filmmaker. Look, I made a crucial error. I listened to people who were paying for the movie, and they said the way to go about this is to not work with your friends. The way to go about this is to work with people who have done this time and time and time again. And basically, that translates into meet a lot of people who are going to resent you and your age and are not going to want to take instructions for you and allow them to tell you what you can and cannot do. And that's a direct quote from him from a 2009 interview. So he... Yeah, the, the the experience of making the movie itself was what was so painful, and he feels that it was a a flawed film by the time it got on the screens. Yeah, and I I think in a in another interview at some point he also said that he almost decided not to move forward with continuing in the film industry because of this movie. Like it was so such a traumatic experience for him that he almost just decided to, to step away and not direct anything else, which definitely would have been a shame. Okay. All right. Okay. Writers for this one were Vincent Ward, who did the story. David Geiler did the screenplay. He died in 2020. Walter Hill did the screenplay, and Larry Ferguson also did screenplay. Ward wrote Vigil and River Queen. Geiler wrote The Money Pit and Beverly Hills Cop 2. Hill wrote 48 Hours and Streets of Fire. Ferguson wrote Hunt for Red October and Highlander. Producers on this one are Gordon Carroll, who died in 2005, David Geiler and Walter Hill. Carroll did the Alien movies and Red Heat, and Hill did Tales from the Crypt. Geiler also did the other Alien movies, and Hill also did Last Man Standing. Music for this one done by Elliot Goldenthal, who did Demolition Man and Frida. Cinematography by Alex Thompson, who died in 2007, who did Legend and Excalibur. Editor was David Crowther and Terry Rawlings. Rawlings died in 2019. Crowther did The Abyss and Arlington Road. Rawlings did Blade Runner and The Saint. Budget was $60 million. Box office was $159.8 million. Flick Metrics gives it a 59%, and Cinema Score gives it a C. So very, very clearly. I, most times those Cinema Scores are at least in the A-B range, so clearly people that went to the theater, it was not, not the alien movie they were looking for. When they came out of that theater, they were clearly not necessarily happy with it because typically those scores are, are a bit higher. Starring Sigourney Weaver as Ellen Ripley. She was in Avatar and Gorillas in the Mist. Charles S. Dutton played Dylan. He was in Rudy and A Time to Kill. Charles Dance played Dr. Clemens. He was in Game of Thrones and Last Action Hero. Paul McGann played Gallic. He was in The Three Musketeers and Queen of the Damned. 
Brian Glover, who died in 1997, played Andrews. He was an American werewolf in London and Snow White, A Tale of Terror. Ralph Brown played Aaron. He was in Star Wars The Phantom Menace and Wayne's World 2. Danny Webb played Morse. He was in Robin Hood and Valkyrie. Christopher John Fields played Reigns. He was in Fight Club and Stargate. Holt McCallany played Junior. He was in Fight Club and Mindhunter. And Lance Henriksen was Bishop 2, or they call him Bishop 2 in the, in the credits. And he was in Hard Target and The Quick and the Dead. All right. So a couple of, yeah, a couple of, this, this will kind of get into some of the David Fincher stuff as well. A couple of the different trivia pieces here. At one point, David Fincher was denied permission by the film's producers to shoot a crucial scene in the infirmary between Ripley and the alien. Against orders, Fincher grabbed Sigourney Weaver, a camera, and they shot the scene anyway. This is the iconic scene of Ripley up against the wall with the alien coming right up next to her face. So originally he was told, nope, you're not shooting that scene. And he just decided, oh, yeah, I am. <laughs> just grabbed everything he needed and went and did it. And and I, this is this is like one of the things as I'm starting to argue for why I think this is a a really good alien movie, and I think it it deserves its spot in the in the pantheon of the alien movies. Is even if you haven't seen Alien Three, that scene. Like, even if you've only seen Alien or Aliens, that scene of the alien coming right up to Ripley's face. You know, bald Ripley with the alien coming right up to her face and sticking his little second mouth out and all that. You know that scene, whether it's from a animated GIF that you used when you responded to one of your friend's text messages or whatever. But uh, you know that scene. So it's it's one of the most iconic scenes from any of the Alien movies. Can you clarify, what's the reason they did, wait, why couldn't film it? They, why they want I don't think it's. It didn't even say here why. He just he. It was one of the one of the shots he wanted to do, and the the producers said no. I, I could almost guarantee it was because it would have given away further plot points in the movie almost almost right away. Well, mm-hmm. okay. I, I, I can argue they get they give away what's going on in the movie in the very first scene. So right, right, yeah, yeah, okay, yeah. Yeah, so let's see a couple of the others here. Oh, one of the things, I, I kind of enjoyed reading this one. When David Fincher was pretty down and out on this one and, and just, you know, not interested in necessarily even staying in the movie business, there were a couple of things that ended up kind of helping him out. It says here, the first thing was that Sigourney Weaver publicly and often angrily sided with Fincher against 20th Century Fox, telling journalists that the studio had made decisions that resulted in an impossible situation for the young director and that he would have an excellent career if given further chances. The other thing was that producer Arnold Coppelson knew and didn't respect the management at Fox, and that was part of the process where he ultimately offered Fincher a new project a few years later, and that project was the movie Seven. And that is David Fincher pretty much was catapulted into the rest of his career after that point, so... Yeah, and, and, and it's uh, this other quote, and you had a direct quote from him. There was this other quote that I had, and, and I remember this kind of summed it all up, too. David Fincher said, I had to work on it for two years, got fired off it three times, and I had to fight for every single thing. No one hated it more than me to this day. No one hates it more than me. So no love lost from David Fincher <laughs> in the making of this movie. So I'm just going to helicopter in. It's like you hire a guy to do a job. Let the guy do the job. You know what I'm saying? You know what I'm saying? I mean, it's like, you know, why I get the higher ups wanting to come in for whatever reason and all that, but my gosh, you hired the guy to do the job. Let the guy to do the job. That's just, 
That's just my take. But I don't know, you know, I don't know all the ins and outs. Are you saying nobody's asking you to make movies? No one's asking me to make movies. But you asked David Fincher to make the movie. Why not just let the guy make the movie as opposed to just putting roadblocks up all over the place? Mm -hmm. You know, but. Mm -hmm. So interestingly, William Gibson wrote a kind of an early treatment for the film based on some of the ideas from the producers, David Geiler, Walter Hill. And this is actually, I, I think I might have purchased this when I had some credits from audible.com. They just brought this out as a, I think they did a graphic novel version of it too. Is that right? Yeah. Yes, they did. Okay. They did it as an audiobook and they did it as a graphic novel. I don't think I've read the graphic novel yet, but I did pick up the audiobook and listen to it. Basically it's, I don't know if they call it the original screenplay of Alien 3, and it's supposedly the original story for this in which it's almost broken up into kind of a two-parter in which the first part, Ripley is in a coma, and Newt and Hicks are the kind of the main characters of this. And then at, at some point, some disaster occurs, and Ripley is then shot off into, into space in some kind, of, some kind of an escape pod. And then that's where it kind of picks up in the, the second half of the story or, or the second movie, if they were going to make this into kind of a two-part movie kind of a deal. It does incorporate some of the pieces of like the, a little bit of like the religious part that kind of plays into this movie a lot. There's some other things, I, I want to say in like the original script, it was supposed to be like this giant floating wooden spaceship that that all this stuff was taking place in and you know so they ended up and there's like a some of that some of it kind of gets repeated or or gets used in alien resurrection because there's like an alien human hybrid that shows up in part of it it's like a almost like a mix between alien and human so there was a lot of stuff that i think ended up getting reused in later movies but that one obviously ended up getting scrapped and I know we're going to, we'll get into the opinion piece here in just a little bit because I, I want to kind of walk through a little bit of the plot first. But yeah, I'm, I'm kind of glad that they did. Like, I listened to the audiobook. It was an interesting story, but I just, I, I really prefer the Alien 3 that, with the assembly cut, I prefer the Alien 3 that we got as opposed to this quote unquote original screenplay that they had. All right, quick question for you. I mean, you've already kind of alluded to the fact that you, you really, I think you really like this movie. My question for you is, if if, it, if you went by the theatrical release, did you feel the same way? Or is it the assembly that makes the difference for you? I've, I'll go into this in a little bit more detail a little bit later, but okay. I, I have always enjoyed this movie. So whether okay. it was the theatrical cut, I, this actually was other than, because I watched the first Alien with my dad when I was probably too young to watch it, and I, I kind of watched these out of order. I watched the first Alien with my dad, and then I ended up watching this one with some friends when I lived in England, and then it wasn't until maybe like a couple years later that I finally saw Aliens. So wow. It probably was not until like later in middle school that I saw Aliens, so I saw them, I saw them out of order. I saw one, three, and then two. Were you on vacation for a while, or what was going on? I don't know. I don't know why I didn't end up seeing yeah, Aliens. Like, that would be like Star Wars coming out and then you going to Return of the Jedi. And then where were you when Empire Strikes Back came in? Because I remember the big release for Aliens being huge. And there was, I mean. Well, yeah, but I, you got you got to remember. Lines, I'm sure. And just like a big, big deal with that one coming out. So yeah, but you, you got to remember, I'm the baby here. I was in kindergarten when Aliens came out. <laughs> there you go. I just so, settled there. Yeah. <laughs> So they decide. 
So you, was it your uncle that used to show you all the movies? <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah, the one that showed me Porky's. He was on vacation the one, during this time. Then, the, right? the one that showed me Porky's when I was three? Yeah. Yeah, that <laughs> uncle. The, the uncle we don't talk to anymore. Yeah. I, I also agree with John that I, I still I, – I saw this in the theater twice – and I still enjoy the theatrical cut. And I'm sure John will also allude to there are things in the theatrical cut that I like, but there are things in the assembly cut that I like even more. Yeah. Well, and I, I think I also had the benefit at the time this came out. I was living in England and there's just something about England seems to love the alien movies. Like it, it was always a big deal over there. They had, and I, I, I love that I got a chance to go through this. And I think I've talked about this before, maybe when we did our aliens episode several years ago, they had a kind of this interactive event that was called alien war. And it was kind of like this, it was almost like a guided tour. Like you went in with a bunch of other people and you were being taken on a guided tour. These people dressed as colonial Marines were kind of walking you through this, this research facility. And like you walk past these containers that have face huggers in them and alien eggs and all kinds of other stuff. And, and they're researching it. And then as you're walking down the corridor, all of a sudden like alarms start going off and the Marines start yelling at each other and the lights go out and, so basically you are, it's kind of like a haunted house. Like if you go to a haunted house now, it's kind of like a haunted house if the haunted house was alien themed, you know, and there's a whole part where you, you get into, and it's not a real elevator, but they, they shake it a little bit while you're inside. So it kind of feels a little bit like it's an elevator. You get into this elevator and then when the door opens, somebody in a very realistic looking alien costume reaches through and grabs the Marine by the face and pulls him through the door and people are screaming and it, and I went through that when I was probably 11 or 12 years old and thought it was the greatest thing I had ever done up to that point in my little life. So I don't know. I think part of living in England in particular and knowing that just, I don't know, British British people seem to love the alien movies. Like it seemed like there was so much stuff there. For There was alien stuff everywhere. Like I remember going to the the toy stores or the model shops and they had models of the the dog alien and they had models of the ships and the prison and the all kinds of stuff. So I don't know. It just, it was, there was just something about that time and that place that maybe they had a lot of alien comics too. Like I'd go to the bookstore and there were a lot of alien comics. So that kind of got me hooked on all the alien stuff, but it happened to be around the time that this was, that this had come out. So I think that's why I had already seen, like I said, alien, the first one with my dad, a couple of years before that. And I think it was just at, it was like the perfect time as this was coming out and I was just the right age and my friends loved the alien movies. And so we were all talking about it and, and all that. So I think that's why I, I got hooked on it. And that's why I ended up seeing some of these out of order too. I knew about aliens. Like I knew a general idea of the story, you know, and I knew about the alien queen because I think there had been like some models at the local model store that we had of like a, one sixteenth scale alien queen or something. So I knew about it. I just hadn't seen the movie up until maybe a little bit later in middle school. All right, let's see. All right, I think that's probably it for uh, for trivia. Anybody else have any other trivia stuff you wanted to share? Or otherwise, I'm going to go on into our. We'll get the trailer going, and then we'll get into our major moments. All right. In a world where Lieutenant Ellen Ripley has everything... Wait a minute. I'm going to do this in, in a little bit more of a fun way. 
We'll do the other Don LaFontaine. In a world where Lieutenant Ellen Ripley has had everything ripped away from her, she'll have to contend with backwater prison planet populated by thieves, murderers, and rapists. Oh, and a xenomorph. It's not completely clear which threat will try to kill her first. Was there an alien on board? Yes. Definitely something in here with us. We have no weapons of any kind. Sometimes we talk about the uh, trailer music and, and whether that fits with kind of the, the vibe of the movie, and it, it still fits just fine. You know, the very kind of chanty music there, and it, it just fits so well with the kind of the religious theme of the movie and the, the religious order that we've got that relates to this prison planet. And yeah, so I, that, that, that trailer still works pretty well for me. At least it wasn't like some rock poppy music that they decided to put in the background of Ripley and the other guys running away from this alien. All right. Do you concur, Pat? Yes. Okay. I know yes. I know oftentimes you like to comment on the on the trailer music, so <laughs> Oh you know, only when it <clears throat> only when it's kind of like a hmm, that's an interesting choice or changes the nature of the movie, but no, I yeah, everything you said I think was right on. It just it matched tonally it matched with what was going on. Yeah. All right, so major moments, and I'm kind of thinking with this one, I've got, I've listed out kind of 10 major moments here. I'm kind of thinking with this one, as we go through, we can just kind of talk about, you know, typically we'll, we'll separate out the major moments from our deep thoughts, but I kind of feel like that's going to kind of go along with the discussion of these major moments here. So feel free to, as we're talking about the different scenes in the movie, I'll kind of walk us through the plot. Feel free to throw anything in about opinions on certain scenes, the way something was filmed, the way, you know, an actor in a particular scene, stuff like that. So I think we'll kind of, we'll blend it together a little bit more tonight than we normally do. So our first major moment is the, what I'm calling the fire in cryogenic chamber, where we get the kind of the, the summing up of everything you need to know from the last movie. If you were here last time, you know that they're in their cryogenic chambers as we finished off aliens. They escaped from the alien queen. If you hung around long enough and listened to the very end of the credits in Aliens, you did hear the hatching of the alien eggs or, or whatever that sound effect is that they kind of showed or the, that you could hear at the very end of that. Of course, I once I was told that the first time I watched Aliens, like I'm sitting there with the TV like cranked up all the way to... I don't know what the top volume was. I was like, can you, can you really, can you really hear something hatching? And then of course, if you have it turned up like all the way, you can kind of hear this little kind of noise at the end of the credits and aliens. So, um, Turn it up to 11. 
I d- turned it up very much to 11 and probably made my parents not so happy when I forgot to turn it down after I pulled the VHS out and went back to normal TV and it was just blasting. But yeah, so we, we get, we get all caught up here. We know that uh, there is an accident aboard the Sulaco and Ripley and Newt and Hicks and what's left of Bishop. I mean, he's not half the man he used to be, but you know, whatever's left of him, they get shot out into this EEV evacuation vehicle, this escape pod. And I mean, like you said, Rob, we're pretty much we pretty much know what's going on in the first two minutes of the movie because you see the face hugger kind of crawling. You see the the spilt acid blood. You see you pretty much get a good sense of yeah. Here's what's happening. And here is it, it's this that I think is has enraged everybody who is a fan of the previous movie and why people don't give this movie a shot is because you immediately know Hicks and Newt probably did not survive and and that's it not to fast forward too much ahead but yeah you see the crash and almost immediately when the evacuation starts happening you realize that hicks and nuke probably didn't make it and i think that's why from from the get-go people were like nope i'm out Mm -hmm. yeah i'd agree yeah oh go ahead i'd agree with that no, I'd say I, I agree with that. <clears throat> and I really liked Aliens a whole lot. And that, Rob, yeah, you summed it up exactly. Like it was it was almost almost like the same feeling as in Transformers the movie when suddenly all your toys became extinct in like the first combat sequence of the movie. And it was like, those are all my guys. That's kind of how I felt with this. It was like, these are the, you know what I'm saying? These are the guys I was cheering for. And, and really, they're just going to go out like like that? It um, feel a little bit like I think I was comparing this to like, I, and I think this is maybe I don't know. I'm trying. I, I don't know back then what I was thinking when I saw it because later on I think we'll talk about previous conversations we had about this because I hadn't seen this in a long, long time since that I've only seen it once before this. But yeah, I was kind of like in Star after watching Star Wars, Empire Strikes Back started with all of a sudden I don't know Han Solo and Chewbacca got in an accident on the way back and died and they weren't in it and they're just like oh they're not in there. You were already mm-hmm. invested in these characters and you basically struggled for them and they survived this this previous encounter only to start within the first opening credits, basically. They're not there. And it just mm-hmm. feels like, hmm, they just got written out of that movie. So it, it probably felt like a slap in the face back then to people that we cared about them before and that's the death you're going to give them. It's just a simple, like, oh, they died in the crash and they're not even in the movie? Really? So I think, yeah, I think that could be a, a problem. And it probably, probably, would, I would guess back then, I probably did have an issue with that. I'm just going to say, too, from a non-horror perspective guy, and please feel free to point me out where I'm wrong, but, like, okay, so there was an alien on the ship, the Sulaco, and it crawled through and did the facehugger thing and all that. Well, I guess that's the theme, is that's why we can keep making Aliens movies, and that's the thing, is it's insidious. Like, you never know what's getting infected and how it's going and all this. But I almost kind of would have been like, okay, so the alien gets them? Like, they didn't, like, sweep the ship, they didn't scan the ship, they didn't check the ship to make sure before they all went to sleep the alien was Mm -hmm. there? And so so I get that that's part of it, that, like, okay, well, that's the suspense. But then from a non-horror perspective, like, I'm like, well, that's not suspenseful for, to me. If the alien always finds a way, if it's always going to get you, then there's no suspense because you don't have a choice chance because the alien's going to always get you. So that's kind of 
And again, I mean, it's just, that was kind of my initial reaction in this opening scene was like, well, you took out the characters that I was invested in and well, that's not very inventive. It's just, okay, well, the alien found a way. I, I, I would have liked a little bit more or an, a more nuanced way that the alien was able to dupe them. Well, or, see, see, it's it's not so much the alien. It it was it's pretty much explained later on that the company Wayland Yutani knew the entire way that the eggs were on board. So if you go back to the previous movie, I guarantee that at some point Burke probably figured out a way to to get those eggs onto the ship. Um, okay. If because they had all all that stuff in the lab, and there was there was some way he was going to get those experiments if okay. if if the queen herself did not drop a, drop a few kids off on the ship when she infiltrated that's mm-hmm. that's mm-hmm. that's my my fa- my fanboy trying to to protect how that happened right that the headcanon and i do remember them that because that's when the interview with bishop right or what's left of him the half bob bishop that was what he said is it was on there and mm-hmm. okay I'm going to, I've been staying quiet for just a moment because I'm like, I have all the thoughts locked and loaded here and, and ready to go, but I'm going to, I'm going to dole these out. As Billy Joel once said in his live at Long Island concert, I'm going to space this out for maximum effect. So I'm mm-hmm. going to, I'm going to dole out some of my little thoughts here from time to time. However, I am going to, I'm going to, I'm going to push back a little bit on the, well, the alien always finds a way. Mm-hmm. One of the reasons why I think, and I'll, I'll, I'll pepper other evidence for this throughout the rest of this episode, one of the reasons why I think this is actually a really good alien movie is because I think, and maybe even more so than the other alien movies, I think this movie really, really understands the themes and kind of the, the heart of the alien franchise. Like, mm-hmm. I think this movie gets it the most. Like, all of the the claustrophobia, the nihilism, like, that that's the, that's the biggest part to me. Like, I think the alien movies are all about the nihilism. I think it's, I don't think it's the alien that always finds a way. I think the universe finds a way because I think the one of the messages of the alien movies is that the universe doesn't want you alive is that you are going to I'll, I'm going to go I'm going to pull my my English teacher hat on right now and I'm going to pull a quote from Thomas Hobbes which worst of all continual fear danger of violent death and the life of man solitary poor nasty brutish and short and I think that that sums up how you are supposed to feel about the universe and life in the alien movies is The universe does not want you to live. The universe is out to get you. The universe is out to pretty much annihilate all life. And the universe, in some way, has created this perfect killing organism in order to ensure that life does not go beyond the boundaries the universe wants it to have. So there are some people, I think, have argued, and I don't know, I mean, I, I like the idea... It obviously doesn't fit with with my own personal religious beliefs, but I like the idea of one of the interpretations that the alien, especially in this movie, 
is supposed to be almost kind of like a, and I'm not using like big G God, I'm using like a little G God of like a divine retribution, like a, a divine cleansing of life is what the alien is supposed to be. And you get a lot of the imagery in this of it being called the beast or being called a dragon or the way in the assembly cut, the way Gallic, the Gallic character almost kind of worships the alien as you get a little bit later on into the movie. But the other thing, and I, I was just trying to, I was trying to think about this earlier when I, when I thought about the Thomas Hobbes quote about life being nasty, brutish, and short, and how that fits, I think, so well with the alien movies. I just kept trying to think, all right, so in my own words, if I was going to sum up what I think the theme of the alien movies, especially these three, like these first three movies, the theme of these first three movies is that the universe is antagonistic towards life, towards humanity, and, and I can sum it up with one phrase, even when you win, you lose. I, to me, that kind of sums up all of the, the first three, at least, alien movies. Even when you win, you lose. Because Ripley, right? First movie, she even when she thought she won, all of a sudden, the alien is still there. She's got to stop it. You know, like Even when she thinks she has won, I, at the end of the first movie, she thinks she's won. She's beat the alien. She's fine. What happens? She wakes up in the second movie, and it's been 57 years. Her daughter is dead. She's, she's lost again. Like, she's lost everything. So even when she thought she had won, she lost. And then you have this whole movie. You have, she, she finds a, a surrogate daughter. She kind of starts to fall for Corporal Hicks. She finds a... a new relationship with or a better relationship with an android that she would have hated the androids from before like with with ash she kind of redeems that a little bit and by the end of that movie yeah she had to she had to fight the alien queen and and you know everybody's injured and, and half dead but everybody's fine and it's almost kind of you end aliens and it's almost very like soft focus and dreamlike as they're falling asleep and then what happens in the next movie she thought she won. Even when you win, you lose. She loses everything again. And I think that's, at least for me, the way I understand the Alien movies is that's what you're supposed to take away, is that there's not a whole lot of hope here, and you just kind of have to keep carrying on even knowing that there is no hope. Like, don't even, don't even wish for hope because it's not going to happen. You just have to, if you're going to live, fight, claw, scratch, do whatever you need to do to keep living but don't ever think that there's really any hope for you. Like you are going to have to struggle in order to continue living. And even when you think you've won, you've still lost, which is why it doesn't bother me. And I loved the characters of Newt and Hicks and Bishop. And I love those characters, but it didn't bother me when they died at the beginning of alien three, because in my mind, I'm like, this is perfect. Ripley has been broken down again like this. is She's continually being broken down and changed as a character, and she has to, within the, the universe that is the Alien movies, this has to continually happen to her. Like She has it, to keep getting everything taken away from her. And it dovetails, dovetails perfectly. Your, your, your take on all that dovetails perfectly into where she winds up, a place where people have absolutely no hope for anything. Right. So it's not like she's going to find some some rallying cry from from these these people who have essentially be, decided to become lifers mm -hmm. in a prison. Yeah, like the end of the line. <laughs> yeah, 
So, I mean, that's kind of in a nutshell. I mean, there's there's other things that I'll talk about as we go through the rest of the movie, but kind of in a nutshell, that's why I really like this movie, and that's why I think... And we've, we've kind of joked around with, with Jason from the Shirley podcast, because I know he gets, he's, gets really upset at the fact that they die at the beginning of the movie. And I'm not saying that I don't understand that. I completely get, and, and when I saw it for the first time, I was like, oh, man, I love those characters. Like, I love Hicks. I love, I love these characters. It breaks my heart that they're dead. But for the purpose of staying true to the nature of these stories, I think they had to. I think you have to start, if Ripley is still your main character, I think you have to break Ripley down at the beginning of Aliens and at the beginning of Alien 3. I think you have to break her down so that she can progress as a character and move forward. And, and she is. By the time you get to... That's why I love her character in Alien 3. She is not the same Ripley. She's a fairly similar Ripley at the beginning of Aliens as she was in the movie Alien. By the time you get to Alien 3, she is a completely... She, she's not... She hasn't become some kind of, like, superhero, but she is, she is a very changed person. And I think if you're going to continue moving the story forward... Then you gotta you gotta break your you gotta break your main character down in a in a universe like this where if that's part of the terror of the alien is that there's no hope then that is a perfect way to start your movie kill everybody off so that she does not have any other resources other than herself. So focusing on oh come on the alien always wins give me something new is missing the point. That's just kind of a vehicle to advance the worldview. I think you. I think it's just meant to be understood that the alien is always going to win. Gotcha. Like I don't. I don't think you even question it. Like the alien's going to win. Oh, got it. Maybe maybe oh, oh. Ripley wins. So maybe if Alien Three had ended differently, like maybe Ripley wins in the end. But I guarantee you, if we come back for an Alien Four, if they're following, if they're staying true to the story as it has been so far then she's got to lose everything again somehow and be, and be put in a different situation in Alien 4. Well, how many years till Alien Resurrection? Was that 97? Mm-hmm. So five years maybe? Hey, and also before you go on, were you quoting the Leviathan at the beginning of our podcast tonight? Yeah, I was. Dang, man, I can. we're setting a tone. That's yeah, all I'm going with that, man. Well, it's interesting, like, the response of, like, okay, so – I don't know whether it was on a podcast or was in between a podcast recording or at the end of something, but we had, we had gotten into a little uh, kerfuffle about like, I had, I think I had angered a few people just because I was throwing out there like, Hey, like maybe I didn't like this movie. And all I was just doing was just getting a rise out of John because he liked it so much, but it was more like, I really didn't remember it. I like, I, I'm, I'm like, I remember I kept saying, I only saw it once and there might be a reason why I only saw it once, you know, and I just kept kind of playing that off. And I think, interestingly, like, I bet you my experience back then was very different and kind of what Pat had kind of described, like, that feeling. Or, like, the feeling of, like, a cheap way out. Like, oh, you couldn't get the actors, you couldn't sign a contract, so you're just going to write them off. You know, like, sometimes you think that with movies where it's like, oh, this actor didn't want to come back, they didn't want to play the role, so you have to get rid of them, so you just got rid of them at the beginning of the movie like that. So back then I probably was more offended by sort of that, like, hey, I was – you're, you're more closely related to the characters because you have just seen aliens 
And now all of a sudden the time between the two movies isn't as great as it is now, 20 something years later, 20 something years later, I did not have the same anger that they killed them in the first few minutes. Does that make any sense? Like back then it was fresh. You knew them in the distance of time now, like seeing this so many years later, decades later again for the second time only, I was okay with them not being like being killed. Like I wasn't happy, but I was like, okay. And in the the tone, I think you just in the opening sequence and the going back from the the, the credits and then seeing the little pieces was a very kind of eerie, creepy sort of, you know, it kind of sucked me back in. Like I think where I was like, Oh, okay. And, and, and needless to say, like my, my, my previous, joking around with you like I might not have liked this it turned out to be false because I actually enjoy this film well and so. to, to use your example of it would be like if if at the beginning of a Star Wars movie you killed off Han Solo and Chewbacca that's where I think this is a little bit different because in Star Wars it's not expected that you'd kill off a major character like a Han Solo or a Chewbacca because it's not that kind of movie but the alien movies I think are are specifically designed that way to be to have the theme of even when you win you lose like so, I think that's, yeah, I mean, that makes sense. I mean, every, everybody was surprised. Yeah. Everybody was surprised with the first Alien movie that that Ripley wound up being the main character because everybody thought it was going to be Dallas, right? That he he was going to be the last man standing, and it so that was that was kind of a bait and switch with the audience, even with the original Alien. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think I think the thing that, like I said, that some people might is. You, you feel it, you know, it's like that feeling. And I think back then, because it was, again, fresher, because it was a shorter time between films, was the idea that you spent on the frustration. I think that's what maybe turned people I'm just, like, looking back and saying that's probably what either I experienced and other people experienced was the frustration that, okay, you just went through all the trouble of these people surviving that last film. And then, boom, just like that, they're gone in the opening credits. You know, it felt ins- insulting to a certain degree, probably back then, if you weren't thinking of, again, the realm that... John is talking about of hopelessness, nihilism, and, and, and that whole sort of that's what they're trying to create. Like, yeah, you did go through all that. You spent the whole hour, two hours of survival. Those people made it through, but they really didn't make it through. Right. And again, when you win, you lose. Like, you thought you won, but nope, you didn't. Right. And it's Kobayashimaru. Like, is this a bad comparison? Is it like, is this similar to the feel? And, and again, I haven't dived into all of the more recent ones or anything like that, but I know there's another one coming out, I guess, this Halloween is the Halloween films, you know, where Michael Myers, no matter what you do, he can't kill him. He just keeps popping back in and he's there to haunt Jamie Lee Curtis, you know, and I hear like the new one is where it's like the end. They're calling it the end. I have no idea what it's going to be, you know, be like because I lost interest in those after, after time, but. You know, kind of and, like, and nobody, nobody can blame me for that. Yeah. Nobody yeah. can blame me for that. So now I'm wondering, this new one, is it worth seeing because Jamie Lee Curtis is back in it? Is she just taking a paycheck? Or is it going to have some sort of throw out all the middle crap that we've been seeing in the last how many years and take the original and take like this end one? And it will, will those two like do it justice? I don't know. But yeah, anyway, I'm just saying like the monster of Alien and, the mon- and, and, and Michael Myers. Can't seem to kill him, can you? No matter what, they kind of keep appearing. Well, and that's, that's one of the other things that I do, like, one of the other reasons I do really like Alien 3 and that I think it really is a, a just as worthy as, I, I'm not going to say if I were to look at the first three movies together, if I were to rank them, I'm, I'm definitely, I'm not going to rank Alien 3 as my favorite of the first mm-hmm. three Alien movies. I'm probably going to go, I might even go 
in order. I might go one, two, three. However, there are times where I might even possibly flip-flop two and three. Like, one is always going to be my favorite. Like, I really, really like the first Alien movie. Um, there are times, and, and, and I love Aliens for the action movie that it is, but if I'm in the mood for a sci-fi horror movie, it's not Aliens. Like, I think of that as much more of an action. I like the movie, and I've talked about this before, I like the movie where there is the monster, even if the monster is mostly unstoppable, I like the movie where there is the one unstoppable monster because you just don't have what you need to stop this thing. Like in the first movie, they didn't have any weapons. It was one alien. Then you watch Aliens, and I love Aliens. I love that movie. However... You can mow down half a dozen aliens in a couple of seconds because you've got a pulse rifle with some grenades. So the aliens in that, other than when you just think about their sheer numbers, individually they become less terrifying. So then when you get back to, and I, I know we've talked about this before with like the Terminator movies, if you get back to your horror roots, because I think that's what they did well, we've talked about this, that's what they did well with Terminator was a horror movie. Terminator 2 was an action movie. Terminator 3 was a piece of crap. So <laughs> they didn't get back to, I, I feel like in the Terminator movies, they didn't get back to what made it good in the first place. Whereas with the Alien movies, Alien is a horror movie. Aliens is an action movie. Alien 3 is back to being a horror movie, but you've changed it just enough that you've made something fresh out of it. So it's not just a rehashing. Like Terminator 3, I feel like it's just a rehashing of everything else. It's, it's, it's another T-1000, but we've added guns to what it can build. And it's it's a woman with she wears tight fitting clothing and that it, it it just feels like it's it's not true to the original intent and tone and universe that was built in the first couple of movies. Whereas in Alien, I think it is. I think Alien, Aliens, Alien Three, and even Alien Resurrection. Like there, are, I I think that there are definitely some problems with that one, but I can still be entertained by watching it. I I'm not going to put that in with the first three movies. I don't like to lump those together. As a four-movie set, I like to think of Alien Resurrection as its own deal, and it's its its own little island, and I will keep that separate from the first trilogy. Thank you very much. Yep, that's that's where you and I will definitely have to part company, John, because <laughs> my biggest my biggest defense for Alien Three is it's not Alien Resurrection by any means. That's also true. It's it's a for me it's a very steep drop off. Like once we get past Alien Three, it's like all right, I'll be entertained, but I don't know that I'm going to seek out any of the other Alien movies after this. I, I'll even include Prometheus and Alien Covenant in that. Like, I've, I've watched each of those once, and I don't think I'll watch them ever again. And that, yeah, that, we're, remind, that, kind of, agreement. that kind of makes me think of, like, normally you pose the question about ranking them and how do we rank them, and, and I'm, I'm, I have two gut feelings on that, or two feelings on this where it's like, if, if I'm ranking them as a totality, like, just like a it's like of like of merit or of maybe more of a critical review. Yeah, I'll go one, two, three. I think it just works in that in that order, and it, it makes sense. If you go by ranking them, which would be the ones that I would watch the most to repeat movies? Mm -hmm. It would be two, three, one. One would be the last because it's a bit yeah. slower in terms of it, it sets. It's kind of like the opening chapter of your book, 
you know, you don't always read the opening chapter again, but like, it's like you get to the action parts. So like, if I wanted to see, which one would I watch repeatedly? Like if it was on TV and go, oh, I'm going to catch that one and, and finish this movie two, three, one. But it, in terms of the critical merit, one, two, three. So we get we haven't even gotten beyond like the first five minutes of the movie yet, but the as we do as we kind of move on through this beginning part of the movie, she gets rescued. The this is one of the things I like about the assembly cut a little bit better because of the the scene where she gets rescued. It's I think there's just a lot of it is just with this assembly cut. It's just it's shot better. Like you can clearly tell it's a it's a better quality filmmaking in a lot of these shots that get used in the restored assembly cut Clemens finds her on the beach you know you you kind of immediately get a sense of what's going on here with the prison and the fact that they don't have a whole lot of technology available to them they're using cattle to pull something out of the out of the ocean that's there it is and and much like that quote from Leviathan this place is nasty and brutish there's not a whole lot here that it's it's very savage it's very there's yeah it's desolate it's no hope is <laughs> basically this is the planet of no hope. I mean, the, the name of the planet is is Fury, like they nicknamed it Fury. So this is like you've already got out in space. There's already things that are trying to kill you. And now you're on a planet where not only will the alien try to kill you, but the inmates might try to kill you, too. So you've kind of getting it at both ends. There's really not a whole, a whole lot of hope for you. The yeah. one scene that I thought in particular is and, and I think it's very emotional and very you know very well shot and the the kind of back and forth between it 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 really is kind of the the creepiness of it is the whole scene of newt's funeral kind of blended in with the birth of the alien busting out of the if you saw the one version there's the dog if you saw the the assembly cut it's the ox that it bursts out of and it's just you've got the You've got Dylan giving his sermon at the funeral, and and it kind of gets at the idea, too, of, like, this place is, you know, the world, the universe, whatever you want to call it, is a nasty, heartless, brutish place. Because he even says that. I I wanted to pull it up to make sure I had it. When he starts in on his, his sermon for her funeral, he says, why? Why are the innocent punished? Why the sacrifice? Why the pain? There aren't any promises. Nothing's certain. Only that some get called, some get saved. She won't ever know the hardship and grief for those of us left behind. We commit these bodies to the void with a glad heart, for within each seed there is a promise of a flower. Within each death, no matter how small, there is always a new life, a new beginning. And mixed in with, obviously, as he's preaching the religious imagery, then you have the birth of the alien, which is, for all intents and purposes, if you want to call it anti-life, uh, not to mix it in with the DC Comics movies, but yeah, if you want to refer to the alien as the anti-life, it's kind of the birth of the anti-life during the funeral of this young girl. And I think, doesn't the funeral, isn't when she has the drop of blood, too? That's when yeah, she starts a little nosebleed once the yeah. alien is born. Yeah. And I think I think Rob was saying about in the opening credits, like, like uh, and I'm, again, going. I'm trying to go back to why I wasn't, Oh, got to watch this repeat, repeat. And I don't think I hated it back then. I think I just was sure. probably frustrated with some things. And 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 while I thought, oh, well, it was all right, it was okay. It wasn't like I'm going to keep watching. You know, I that's again trying to flash back and think what I thought. It's almost 
a movie I forgot about how I was reacting to it. But as I was watching, I can picture the younger me being frustrated with the fact that I kind of figured out through the opening credits, through the initial things of her nosebleed and certain things that she was already carrying the alien. So like that's already, so I was kind of thinking, well, geez, if you're going to kind of spring this on a later, like some big revelation, it's like, I already know. So therefore I saw that as a weaker thing, but I don't think that's maybe not the attempt watching it the second time around. No. It's okay that you know it. Back then no. I was thinking, were they trying to hide it and you just couldn't do it? So therefore it's a weak script that we already had this figured out. Or was it, we were supposed to know early on that this was the case. And I think watching it now, I felt more like they were okay with us knowing they weren't trying to hide it. But what's interesting is when you mentioned the scene where they didn't want to have the alien be with her in the face and, and leave her a go where he, the alien spares her at that point. Cause then that's the giveaway. It almost feels like the, the studio was trying to do that. So I don't, I'm, I guess I'm confused on that now. Cause that makes me think like when you said that trivia piece, like they didn't want her in the, the shot with the alien up by her face that becomes the iconic shot. They didn't want that because they didn't want it to, to give anything away. I'm like, but it's too late. <laughs> We already knew that. <laughs> like, you could figure that out in the opening sequence. She survives, and she's worried about the alien being in the girl, and it's like, look in the mirror, you know? Yeah, I, I think that that's, that's the thing. Once you get through the autopsy scene with Newt, the, the cat's out of the bag. Yeah. We, every, every, you can't go back and, and erase Ill. everybody's memory. It's not feeling great. When there's, like, all these sort of things happening to her, and I'm like... And yeah. they very quickly try to explain it away that with, yeah. with uh, Charles Dance's character, Clemens saying, by yeah. well, the way you came out of cryogenics, Bio, yeah. Sleep, yeah. the way you did, way you did. He was like, uh, and she was like, Oh yeah, I'm going to be sick for a couple of weeks. Yeah. yeah. It didn't work. No, yeah. we, we all know. Yeah, exactly. So I think back then as a younger 20, what was it? It was 92, it was, uh, 21. I was probably thinking like, Oh, well, I was too smart for this and I figured this out. So therefore this must movie must be kind of weak. Maybe I was thinking that, but, and again, I don't think I hated it back then. I just didn't really, didn't register like a big imprint. So the second time around 20 something years later, 30 something, years, 30 something years later, it, it was, I was okay with it. Cause it was like, no, I don't think they were trying to hide it. And if they were, it would be pretty bad if they were trying to hide it, thinking they're going to do that. Well, and I, <laughs> that I think kind of also, it sticks with that whole idea. It, I'm, I'm going to keep repeating it. It's going to stick with that whole idea of even when you win, you lose. Because I think, and I'll jump ahead for just a second, I think that you go through the movie and then even if you missed it, even if you missed all the clues and you don't figure out until just before Ripley does that she's got the alien inside of her, she's got the queen inside of her, then you get to the point where you realize, as some of the characters do, oh, we've got a rescue ship coming. Oh, the rescue ship, they'll be able to come. They, maybe they can get this thing out of her. Maybe there's a procedure. Maybe there's a. So you start to get that little bit of hope. So it's like, oh, maybe there's a chance that we'll win. We got this alien locked up. We won. Okay, yeah, but then you've got Gallic, who is, like, religiously obsessed with the dragon. And, you know, he wants to go free the dragon. He wants the dragon. In the assembly cut, he has that line, and I'm, I'm trying to remember exactly what it was. It, like, tell me what to do next. Like, once he frees the alien, he's like, tell me what to do now or tell me what to do next. And so it's almost like a... 
It's almost like a Renfield character. You know, I would like say a Dracula, Dracula, Renfield, Dracula yeah. yeah, kind of a deal. And you thought you won because you locked this thing up, and now we can either kill it or we can wait for the company to come and they can kill it or whatever. Because of course they would. Of course the co- why would the company not kill it? That's ridiculous. You think you've won, you haven't won, because Gallic messes it up and he lets the alien out again. And even jumping forward to the end of the movie. Like, oh, the company's here. Look, they brought doctors with them. I can tell they're doctors because they're all in white. And they're going to be able to remove this thing. From... Ripley is going to be saved. It's all going to be okay. The guy looks like Bishop. <laughs> right. The guy looks like Bishop. No, even if you think you've won because you think the team of doctors is here, you haven't won because Ripley knows exactly what the company is going to do with this. And for her, like, there's no, she has no choice. Like, there's no hope because she, if she hasn't figured it out before then, which she has, she knows she's going to have to die. Like she knows she's going to have to somehow take this thing with her because otherwise if the company gets a hold of it, the whole, I mean, everything is over. Mm-hmm. And I think that's, I think that's something a lot of audiences back then were struggling with is that every beat of the movie is marching Ripley toward what ultimately happens. Yeah. No matter whether you saw the theatrical cut or not. And, and that's something that, was so eye-opening to me seeing the assembly cut was was that whole pr- thing with Gullick. That was almost completely ex- excised yeah. from the theatrical cut. Yeah. In fact, it, it practically is. It because, practically is because I was going to say you don't really get that vibe so much from here. Where you, you no, their 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 trapping of it never happened. Yeah. Right. They never trapped it. it, it yep. It's it's them all right after the the big explosion and, and everything went wrong. It's them standing at the entrance where the thing was supposedly trapped and they're all going, now what do we do? And yeah. then it's it's Ripley realizing that, that that she's pretty much doomed. Yeah. Yeah, when you were describing that, I was saying, yeah, I didn't see that. And that's, that's a big difference because I didn't see it. I saw the theatrical version and I didn't get the whole, yeah. Yeah. And, and going back to that opening sequence again, we were just talking about how it's not revealed. It's so quite obvious, like, because you see her face, and you see her grimacing, and her kind of, like, whether, and it totally, something's going on. <laughs> but you're not seeing anything lower than her face, but it's like, you get the idea, you know? So from, from watching it, like, it was it was super clear, like, yeah, something's going on, and why is she alive? And there's a reason. So. Yeah. Well, so as we get towards the end of the movie, we've got the, I'm, I'm calling this one scene, get the let out. This is the scene where they are working to trap the alien for a second time, and then they're going to dump hot lead all over it. If they can get it kind of trapped in this piston area, they're going to dump hot lead all over it. And Dylan ends up making kind of that final sacrifice and, you know, f- trying to fight the alien single-handedly, or at least hold it there for long enough for Ripley to to climb out of where she is and for them to be able to dump the, the molten lead on top of it. And again, the even when you win, you lose. They dump all the lead on there. Everybody's super excited because, yay, they've won. And then it comes bursting back out of the, the hot lead again. And then they have to, to douse it with the cold water to then cause it to do its uh, alien uh, exploding. It's exploding head moment. And then... Again, following the same theme, you have supposedly the the rescue team shows up, but Ripley, knowing that the rescue team is not so much a rescue team, you know, she she knows kind of what needs to be done, even with a friendly face, 
showing up, who I'm calling Bishop to Electric Boogaloo. He is very clear. I mean, at the very beginning, he's like, he's talking to her very sweetly and as if, yes, they are there for her. And they have not. If you've watched the other two movies before this, you know very well the company really could care less about the, the people that work for the company. You know, they, she mentions in this movie, she's like, nope, the first time, crew expendable. The second time, they sent Marines. They were expendable too. So they really don't care about any kind of people. And I, that's one of the other messages of the Alien movies is, you know, don't don't ever think that the Alien movies are, are friendly to big business or <laughs> or if, if you want to make it even broader to capitalism or anything like that. It's, it's, it's very much a companies don't care about you. Companies are there for their... Bottom line for the dollar, for whatever you want to call it, but they are not going to, at any point in time, they are very willing to to basically screw you over so that they can continue to make profit. And so that is that is very, very clear. And you, you kind of see the moment when, when Bishop then kind of changes, like when he knows it's starting to get to be hopeless, where Ripley has separated herself, and, and then he starts in with the... Because before it was a... Of course, we're going to remove it. We're going to we're going to kill it. We can't allow it to live. What would happen if we allowed it to live? And then, like five seconds later, imagine what we could learn from it. Like it is all of a sudden he's switched and he's in full on I need it mode. Like you gotta, you, you, I have to have it, kind of a deal. And uh, you know, and and the the guy who's basically been a coward the entire time, Aaron, the kind of like deputy warden or whatever you want to call him, who is Rick Olay from the Star Wars episode 1 The Phantom Menace. So everybody's favorite favorite pilot, Captain Obvious from the Star Wars episode 1 movie. He gets gunned down at the very end there. So it's just Ripley and the one guy left and you know, she has him position this platform so that she can take a dive off of it into the into the furnace and it just there are a couple of things I remember about this movie. Like there's some the, some moments in particular that I remember about this movie. One being the one where the alien comes right up to Ripley's face in that one scene. Very iconic scene. The other ones being the funeral scene. That's the other one. The third one being the just guttural scream when Bishop, or whatever his name is, yells no. Like when she starts to dive off of that platform and he knows he's lost, like his one opportunity to get this specimen, he has lost it and just he grabs the fence and just screams no. And then the kind of the way the music swells at that point as Ripley is falling off here. I mean, there's not too many times that you it's happened before, but I would say there's not too many times where you're going to end the third movie of a trilogy by having your hero dive off into a furnace at the end of the movie. Yeah, you're going to have heroes sacrifice themselves from time to time, but, you know, I think after everything she had been through, I'm sure audiences are sitting there going, well, I really hope something good happens to Ripley after she's been through all this. Well, if you do, you might not have been paying attention to the movies because you probably should have known from the very beginning that this is that we're not going to have a happy ending. Like, this is not... Alien movies don't have happy endings. And I, well, and I think that might be the why it is such a split reaction from people is because yeah. we're used to blockbuster action films with these type of heroes always finding a way and surviving, and Aliens doesn't do that. You know, it it it, it doesn't play by those rules, and that's a shot to people. So I think back then that was another thing. You walk away and you're like, wait, she died. 
There's, but there's got to be a way. There's, there should have been a way that she should have figured something out. Like she survived. We thought she was going to die in the first one. She didn't. She thought she was going to die in the second. She didn't. And then all of a sudden, now this time you're actually going to let her die. So back then, as a younger person, I probably was like a little bit like, oh, that kind of stinks. I want her to, to survive. But now I like and I kind of appreciate the one, two, three. You know, although, yes, the, the franchise has dragged on and they've done different ways and resurrection and everything else. But if I just take it as one, two, three, and you call it a day, I'm like, that's a good one, two, three. And I respect that. Kind of like Breaking Bad as a TV series. You know, like the problems of things like Lost, the problems of The Walking Dead, they just keep dragging on and they're milking them for all they can do and they lose what they had, you know. Like how many people, even in Walking Dead, like no spoiler alert for that one, but you know how many people are really dying? Major characters they don't they don't do that anymore. But man, that was the first thing in the first few seasons. Oh, it yeah. was like, and and I haven't seen Game of Thrones, but I hear that that's like one of the things about Game of Thrones. People are like yep. anybody can go, and when you're on your edge of seat, you're getting attached to characters. You like characters, then boom, they're gone. It's like that. There's a kind of a, a gutsy sort of decision to do that because you might tick people off but at the same time it makes it feel you know you don't know that the, the the comfort of the formula of hero always survives it's kind of like you knew who were the people in, who in star trek was wasn't going to get killed you know it's always the guys that you, that you went down there it's like and, and it could still be enjoyable and i think we get accustomed to that type of formula that this one breaks the rules and it is that nihilism it is that desolateness and it is that ability to just be like like feel like ugh. If this is what Fury one sixty one, I don't want to see what Fury one sixty two is like. I don't want to go there. Yeah, and and I mean, it, it like like John was talking about with with no hope. If you remember the name of the the colonists, the colonists, the terraforming center in Aliens was LV four two six, which was also known as Hadley's Hope. Had, Hadley's Hope, yeah. and. Hadley's hope was decimated, and that's what that's what pulled Ripley to go there in the first place. She did not want to go. She she was a reluctant recruit to the mission, and uh, you know, but but it she was not invested in doing anything, but making sure that they were going to go in there and exterminate the aliens. And the only reason that she found a reason at that point to continue and to see the mission through when it was all, all starting to fall apart was because they found Newt. Yeah. If things started to fall apart, I think she would, and they had not found Newt that, that she might've expired earlier on in that, in that film. And I mean, as, as John said, she is definitely just a, a completely broken character by the time you get to alien three. And if you, you think about it, we, we have no idea how much longer she had been in cryo sleep it, she could be a hundred years old by now, by by Earth standards, and she she lost what she had found to keep her going before, and she gets to this planet, and I, I could not think of any other ending for this character at this point, other than to end the movie or end the end the series in my mind in, in this manner, if that makes any sense. <laughs> And then the other thing too is like in this when you do start to get you they they play okay so like you just said Newt I think is yeah represents hope something for her to fight for something to stay alive for and then that's gone and then there's sort of this kind of connection with Clemens the doctor 
And then when he goes, it's just like, I got to admit like this, I didn't, I can't remember. I didn't remember that from the first one. So all of a sudden I see the thing behind the, the curtain and it's just like, boom, that's it. And he's gone. It's like, wait a second. I thought this would be the new Hicks who, if you're going to kill him, it's going to be at the very end. If you kill, if you kill him at all, but this guy's going to survive along with her. Like these are the two now who are going to be somehow surviving this. And all of a sudden he just goes like that. Like no, it was this, like this, this was the gender swap where it's now the guy that dies right after they sleep together. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Like I was, I, this time I didn't, I did not remember that he gets killed. Yeah. So when it happened, I was like, Whoa, okay. <laughs> yeah. Now the one thing now, so, Worst so you would have, the, you would have, the version you watched Dennis was the theatrical one. So mm-hmm. the one thing that I would keep from the theatrical is right here at the very end of the movie is, and, and to me, like that was, that was the best possible way to end the movie. Um, mm-hmm. and, and it still fits with my whole idea of even when you win, you lose, because even if there is no hope, even if it's all about nihilism and, and, and all of this, where it does kind of give you a little teeny tiny bit of a hopeful ending, even though it's not because pretty much everybody's dead is when she dives off that platform in the version you saw. See, that's what I don't like about the assembly cut is they changed what happens to her after she dives off that platform in the theatrical cut, the queen bursts out of her chest and she grabs the queen and holds it close to her as she falls the, the alien never bursts out of her chest in the assembly cut. Oh, okay. And so for me, I'm like, I remember seeing, I saw the theatrical version first. And so I remember that scene. And I remember thinking that that is her way of, yeah, so you, you have taken everything from me, but in this one instance, alien queen, where you think you've won because you just burst out of my chest, you've actually lost. And I'm going to hold you close to me. And this is the one little inkling of hope that I have is I am now going to deprive you of the death and destruction that you would have caused. So if you want to say something hopeful about humanity is that even if the universe, life, whatever you want to call it, even if everything is out to get you, even if everything is against you, there is some hope in that Ripley still kept fighting. Like there could have been any number of times where she just gave up at any point during this movie, but she kept fighting. So if there's one thing about humanity that is redeeming in the end of this is that she gets, I don't know if you want to call it revenge or, or whatever you want to call it, but she is able to score. Yeah. She, she is able to kind of even the score and take that alien queen with her as she dives into the furnace. So if you want to give it a little bit of a hopeful ending. Yeah. Pat, go ahead. Are you? Well, But it's really, if we are to, then there's going to be an alien for the alien still going to find a way, right? Like, and I'm not trying to poke holes in it, but it's like, that's kind of the thing is like, it doesn't matter that she did that. She should have just let the alien queen go because there's going to be another alien in another ship where the other guys, do you know what I'm saying? Yeah. Because then it's, then it's somebody else's responsibility to keep fighting. Got it. Because this is this is Ripley's story. This is like the ending okay. of Ripley's story. Yeah. This is this is how Ripley dealt with this particular threat, and she, I would argue that in the end she won, like even mm-hmm. though she lost. So that kind of flips my whole thing around. Even though she lost, she won. Mm-hmm. 
And that's the end of so, her. And that's the end of her story. She beat the alien. She like the aliens that she needed. Like they nuked the site from orbit because that's the only way to be sure. They nuked the site from orbit. So those aliens on that planet supposedly gone. Um, mm. And this supposedly was the only alien left. Like they killed the the alien that had burst out of the the ox. So that one is blown up that one's gone supposedly the only one left as far as she knows the only one left is this queen that's in her chest and if she takes that with her then in her mind the threat is gone you know she has she's even the score she's taken care of this we're all good now could there be other aliens somewhere else in the universe in the galaxy on other planets waiting for someone to absolutely and that's where it kind of leaves it open to if you were going to do another set of alien movies fine but it's not ripley's story anymore then it's somebody else's story you know and if you chose to do that sure you could leave it open to be able to do that but i think as dennis was saying i think this is just the this is the perfect way to wrap up ripley's story i don't know for it to be for me i know for some people it's not satisfying for me for it to be as satisfying an ending as it is i think this is the only way that you could have ended it mm. Absolutely, and, and I think you said when you if you choose, if they choose to do, I think if you also choose to participate in that, meaning as a viewer, you can just pat you. Right. I know you're saying like there's a four and there's a there's the, the aliens come back and there are other different places. I can still just look at it and throw that all out and say this is a separate thing. This is one, two, mm-hmm. three, and it's done. And and Ripley, there is no they're not they're not writing a loophole for Ripley to somehow come back other than the way they did in Resurrection. You know what I'm saying? You could just ignore that. You could just say one, two, three, boom, done. And in my eyes, this is the original intent, the original story. This is, and, and anything else is people trying to just kind of make some money off the franchise. But the mm-hmm. heart of it is one, two, three. And that's mm-hmm. it. So Ripley has to, so it's not just that, well, the alien's always going to win. It's just, in Ripley the end, has to the sa- alien didn't win. In the end, in the but end, Ripley has to sacrifice both, herself. Sacrifice herself. It took it. It did get her, but she got it. So you can look at that as a win-win-win. You know. I think if the aliens, if you needed to, if you need to keep a scorecard for the aliens to have won, then the aliens still need to be alive by the end of the movie. Whereas the alien is dead. Ripley is dead because she had to do that to take it with her. The aliens, as far as we know, every last alien is now dead. And there are still humans left alive. Now, these humans are not great people because they're from the company. And I think there's one prisoner left. Morse. Yeah, Morse. There was the one. Morse was the one prisoner left. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, you, you don't have the survivors are not the cream of the crop. But at the very least, humanity is still there. So if there is some hope at the end of all this is that we faced this unstoppable monster and humanity came out, even if you, even if you're keeping the scorecard, humanity came out, they they scored that game winning field goal at the end. It wasn't by much, but we won. Worst case. (laughs) Nobody's it's not star Wars. We're not shooting off fireworks at the end of all this and toppling statues, but we, we made it kind of (laughs) worst case. It's a draw. Right, not not unscathed. It, it reminds me of the Norm Macdonald. What was it? Norm Macdonald had the quote with the cancer thing, and it was, I'm pretty sure something like, I'm pretty sure I'm not a doctor, but I'm pretty sure if you die, the cancer dies at the same time. That's not a loss because they see people, lose, people lost their battle of cancer. He's like, no, that's a draw. And that was his idea, and that was one of the things he had said or whatever about it, and it was just, you know, so I kind of think in this case it applies to, you know, yeah, I mean, her, 
And I, I do like, I, I got to see now the assembly ending because like you said, they don't show that. I think that's like one of the cooler scenes is right. it, like you said, is it's like, here she is slowly going down, almost kind of Lord of Rings mm-hmm. <laughs> going down in the lava with the fire behind slow motion. And she's just like this. And then all of a sudden, eventually, like you see it explode out, like it's going to escape for, so for example, you think she's going to end it. Mm-hmm. And then all of a sudden it's like, it's making a fighting last chance to get out. Mm-hmm. And you're like, uh-oh, it's going to, like, burst out and survive. And then she just pulls it back in. Almost in a weird kind of context of a baby, pulling it close mm-hmm. like a baby, but at yeah. the same time killing it, which is just a weird yeah. sort of vibe to it. And that visual at the end was very, I think, pretty pretty, pretty profound, I guess, or pretty interesting. And it was like, no, like, we've been through three three movies of hell together, mm-hmm. and, and you're going with me, and this is it, yeah. and it's done. So I, I had a feeling of completeness and, and finish when it was over that I was like, oh, I did not experience that back then. Probably because I was selfish and wanted more action to continue and the hero to survive. And I think as a more hopefully somewhat mature person, I feel like, and, and as somebody who likes the whole writing process, I respect this more than her somehow magically surviving. Yeah, and, and almost everything that I've looked up in the past couple of days preparing for what I thought was going to be a slog, a knockdown drag out fight, there's a lot there's a lot of people who are who have come around and mainly it is because of the assembly cut being available that a lot of people's initial reactions of Newt and Hicks and for, for for the most part Bishop disappearing in the first act, a lot of people have kind of forgiven it because they've gone back and looked, if you look at it as we all know that this is the end of Ripley's story, it's, it's a movie like, what is she going to do? And and there's so much dialogue and especially from Charles S. Dutton's character, Dylan, that he's, he's talking, talking about, we've all given up on our lives. People have given up on us. It's, it, there's so much through lines of, if you've given up, can you really, what are you going to do to make a final stand? Are you really just going to go out like a chump? Are you going to go out on your knees? Are you going to go down swinging? You know, if you know that this is the end of the line for you and all these guys have accepted that this is the end of the line and Ripley is almost accepted it. It's at the end of the line. She's, she even asked Dylan to take, take her life at one point because she can't do it. You know, if you go out with a fighting chance and and, and I agree with John so much that the, as much as I love what they've done with the producer's cut assembly cut, whatever you want to call it, that one scene of Ripley just saying, Nope, you're not getting away. It's not happening. And I don't even think she opens her eyes. Nope. She's like, Nope. Yeah. And she yeah it's like, she takes it down with her. Yeah, it's like, obviously, like she said, it's like it's ripping out and, and there's no opening of eyes like, oh, my God, no panic. It's just literally like almost a calmness and sureness that no, mm-hmm. you're going, you're no, 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 no chance. Yeah. And weirdly, in a way, she's almost at peace for the first time uh-huh. in all the movies. Yeah. Absolutely. So. So again, so, you know, I know that, like I said, I initiated some possibility of fireworks from this from before, and I was just messing with it because I'm like, I really don't remember this. But I'm like, I will watch it, though, and I will see it again. 
And it's interesting, this whole, just the whole podcast and experience of what we do. And we go back and watch movies from our youth and movies from back then. And you watch them through a different filter of life experiences or just a different mature place and in, in, in a different, and I think it was probably, like I said, going back, at the, I didn't hate it back then. I just was like, eh. And I was probably just more dismayed that like, okay, Ripley died, you know, and and, and it was just kind of like, oh, and I had it figured out. And I knew So I just was probably like, I was just looking for things because I wasn't happy with what they did then because you wanted more of the roller coaster. And then if you look at it more as a book or more as a story, now I actually hate when people drag things on. And that's why I'm a little nervous about even like Stranger Things because I'm like, oh, are we pushing it a season too far? Are we going to destroy all this? You know, like I'm, I'm worried about that now. I liked Breaking Bad the way they, they finished it. It's like, you finished it, you know, thank you. Don't just keep dragging things on and sucking it for the advertising dollars. And and, and and I'm more that person now where back then maybe I would have been like, oh, well, let's get another season. Let's get another season. I don't know. You know, I think you just look at it and approach it like you respect the story of the art form more of like it does come to a nice completion the way they did it. So, Well, and, and I don't want to pretend that I don't understand why – people wouldn't like this movie. Like, I totally get it. I, I totally understand why somebody would not like this movie. We're talking with Jason from, from the Shirley podcast. I, I totally get it. Totally understand why he doesn't like this movie. Be- I, I think, and if he wants to, if he wants to call in and, and let us know for certain, but I think it really all hinges upon that initial death at the beginning of the movie. And, and I totally understand that. Like, that is a... 100% valid reason for not liking this movie. That's just when I think about this movie, that's not a hang up for me. Like that's well, I I look I look at to me my understanding of these movies and my understanding of the the through line of all three of these movies is that that makes total sense when you think about this universe. You think about it if you want to think about it as like a a, a multiverse. In this universe, everything is hopeless. And that is, and that is how the Alien movies have been. Maybe that's not, like, in, in real life, I don't think everything is hopeless. Like, me as an individual, I don't go through life thinking that everything is hopeless and I have to claw and struggle and, and do whatever I can to just fight just to live. That's not me, personally, but my understanding of these movies is in that universe it is a very hopeless universe and you will have to fight claw struggle do whatever you can to survive because everything else is totally against you surviving everything is against life and humanity and all of that you know it's it's not i'm not sitting here going oh i love these movies cuz that totally jives with my personal philosophy it's just that's my understanding of these movies, and I absolutely appreciate it from a storytelling standpoint, from the fact that these three movies had three different directors and still, my feeling, still very much kept that kept to the heart of what I think makes the Alien movies what they are. And, and, and taking it just a tiny step further, the, the character of Ripley. She is the to me the original. You want to you want to point to a movie where there's a positive female role model, role model, a positive free female protagonist. She is the epitome to me. I always say I would love to have an Ellen Ripley at my side if 
things go go terribly sideways than somebody who's just crying and shrieking in a corner somewhere or 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 Bill Paxton's character in Aliens it came over me it came over I, I don't want that guy I don't care if he's a marine if he's losing it I'd rather have somebody who's calm cool and collected and you know it's it's she's she's just a person she's just a space trucker in the first movie in the second movie, she's a space trucker with experience. By the end of it, she is a she's a heroine. And then you get to this one, she's she's like, man, I've 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 been through this. I'm she's weary, she's worn out. I mean, it's it's a perfect character arc. I mean, there are very few characters that we get in cinema that are cl- clearly well drawn and consistent. I mean, she's not going and wiping the floor with with prisoners or the alien in, in any of these movies she is she is a human being that just happens to have characteristics about her that shine through when they need to shine through yeah yeah you know i think it's just also like there's a big like what you said about her being one of the best hero i, I agree if you were to give me have a list she's got to be i think number one I, i'm trying to there's a, I can think of some twos, threes, fours, fives, but I, I think number one, I would go back to her. But I think it's also, it's a daring choice, not daring, but like with the theme of nihilism, once you accept that, like John said, then this movie makes sense. If you don't and you fight that, because I think our natural urge is to have hope and to have all these things. And, and like you said, personally, we may not feel that the universe is that way, but this, this story and this environment and this plot and the setting has that it's a central character even from like what the, the opening tagline of alien with in space no one could hear you scream i mean like that's just like a just a, oh, a haunting sort of no hope yeah no hope whatsoever. no matter what you can scream as loud as you want no one's gonna hear you and then to end it where you don't even have like the surrounding cast of marines people you can root for and root along you have rapists and murderers and the most despicable little end of the line guys on a very end of the line planet. It's like, there is no bottom really from here. You are as low as you're going to go. You've landed on somewhere where it's like you're surrounded with. So I think you didn't even have characters that you could, other than the doctor, I don't think there's anyone else that you really kind of are like pulling Charles Dutton's character. um, Like, yeah, yeah, you you, you definitely like him. But other than that, like everybody else is like, these guys are just creeps. And criminals, and it's like, but you do kind of feel for them in a way, but at the same time, they put you in a spot where they want almost like you almost want to feel guilty for feeling like these guys should survive. Yeah, and and, and another another scene in in the assembly cut is one of her attempted rapists gets a redeeming moment. And I, I, I going back and watching that, I'm still like. Eh, no, 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 let him go. Let him go. Let him yeah. go. Yeah. <laughs> no. Yeah. So it's a, just an icky sort of feeling. It's like you want to shower. Yeah. yeah. In the whole environment, like even where the, where the guy throws that, and there's like some bugs and stuff. And it's like you got the, the talking about you got to shave your head because of the lice. I mean, it just it's just you're in an icky, icky place, a very uncomfortable place that they put you in. So I think that might be another reason why people didn't like it because no one likes to be in that kind of place. It's a dour, dour movie. I mean, it yeah, really it's, is. It's, yeah, if you have a depressing sort of downward like environments, like people, a lot of people like don't like that. They don't want that, you know. And this just happens to take place in, in one of the most ultimate downer places. So, 
We are nihilists, Lebowski. We believe in nothing. Yeah, nothing. <laughs> Say what you will about the tenets of national socialism, dude. At least it's an ethos, but nihilists. <laughs> there you go. All right. Well, we've got some three questions. Do we have anything else we want to say about this one before we get into the three questions? I could have talked about how this fits into, like, as we move into the 90s and, like, the, the general, like, 90s sense of nihilism just in culture and everything else, but that would be, like, a whole other half hour to the show, so we can just, we'll, we'll save that. Somebody can call in if they want to, and they can, they can share some thoughts on that, but we can talk about that another time. Yeah. All right. Uh, if we're ready for three questions, I, I think there is some hope for our three questions. He asks each traveler five questions. Three questions. Three questions. What were they, cycles? We all go a little mad sometimes. Quid pro quo. I tell you things, you tell me things. I'm not interrupting anything, am I? You really look deep in thought. So I'll ask you the questions and then we'll see, all right? So I, one of the things I was going to point out earlier is that clearly we all came very prepared for the Alien 3 show because I just went and got a haircut the other day. There's not a whole lot of hair on this podcast. There's there's some facial mm -hmm. hair, but there's not a whole lot of hair on this podcast. So we all came very prepared for the Alien 3 discussion. No likes here. Mm -mm. mm -hmm. All right. Question number one, what is your favorite prison movie? Really quick, John, just, he just said that there's not a lot of hair in this, but, you know, there's probably a lot of viewers who don't know what we look like. And with our voices, they may have had this very handsome, you know, kind of vision of who we are, and you just destroyed it. Okay. <laughs> you just made it more nihilistic for us. You know, Dennis, my hair is my long, nasty, long, brutish, and <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. Yeah, all of our hair is nasty, brutish, and short. What's your favorite prison movie? Somebody else going first. Well, I, I would say the obvious. I mean, the Shawshank Redemption. But if, if I would pick one that's not so obvious, I would say Brubaker with the Robert Redford. Mm -hmm. And it actually has a alien connection because Yafet Kodo is in that. Oh, nice. Very, very good movie. Robert Redford comes into a prison and for the about the first 40 minutes of it, he's undercover and he kind of reveals himself after he's ha taken his time to observe all the problems that are going on in prison. He reveals that he's the new warden and starts setting everything right. Great movie, oh. but hands down, Shawshank Redemption's my, my favorite prison movie of all time. I also had Shawshank on my list until my wife reminded me of one of my other favorite movies of all time, the 2002 Count of Monte Cristo. So I am going to go with that one. I'm waiting for Pat here. Yeah, I too. Like Shawshank is the first one that comes to mind. You were talking about Robert Redford, and he was also, there was one about, he was in a military prison, 
And he was like a general that got put in the prison and like inspired the the, the soldiers to remember their duty and everything. And I, I wish I remember the name of it. I it, it just I just thought of it when you mentioned it. The guy from The Sopranos, Tony Soprano, was in it. And uh, anyways, that one was a really good one. But Robert Redford was in there. <clears throat> if we're talking prison, I, I suppose it's a bit of a stretch if I say like uh, The Great Escape. Yeah, right? I was that's, that's what you're going to go to. I was waiting for you because I thought that was, yeah. Okay, I, I was going to. Uh, I think it counts. I don't know. If, I figured, if, I figured if, that's what you were going to say. Okay, prison, okay. Prison, motorcycle, prison. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I'd have to go with McQueen and all that, but I, I guess I'd say it's a great escape. The other one I'd want to throw up there would be Escape from Alcatraz with Clint Eastwood. Yeah. Clint Eastwood is really good. Anyways, I should let Dennis get in there before I go. But yeah, if I can name. If it's any prison, that's a no-brainer for me. Great Escape will always be the be the All top. Right, sounds good then. So I, I, you guys have mentioned ones that I were in my top five. Everything yeah. else, or even like top two, like Shawshanks, or really, yeah, The Green Miles, another honorable mention for me. And with John, did you go? Yeah, yeah, I said Count of Monte Cristo. Okay, so then I can say mine. I'm gonna go with my favorite, which is Cool Hand Luke. Mm. Cool Hand Luke, favorite prison movie. That's that's solid. Solid. It's one That's a great one. Yeah. And, but like, man, Shawshank is, yeah, Green Mile, those are like that. I mean, there's, and I was going to say Great Escape, too. I mean, that's, I thought of that. I'm like, is it? Because they didn't really commit a crime, though. So is it really a prison or is it more of a, they're prison? What's this? It's a prison. Great Escape. So that's why I was. That's, I see. That's why I thought that one was borderline. That so is, that's why I put, that's why I put the Escape from Alcatraz in there. Yeah. Um, would also go on. Dead man. It, well, we can we can get into a whole social commentary thing, but you don't have to commit a crime to be in prison. It's, yeah, that's true. So, well, in the name See, of the father, then you can go to the name of the father yeah. with Daniel Day Lewis. That's yeah. also a good one. Happy well, then, well, then I'm naming I'm naming Matrix because we're already in a prison. <laughs> <laughs> the, the thought is. The mistake is that you think you can escape from the prison. What about, well, and if hold, we're going to prison or- Hold on, hold on, Pat, hold on. You've been Pat's Blade. <laughs> there we go. There it is. What about uh, the one with Obi-Wan Kenobi where they're on like the uh, Earth version of Ruapente, where they're built, Bridge on the yeah. River Kwai. There, that could yeah. be another one. Yeah. But again, that's that's prisoner of war. That's You guys, you guys all went- you might I was like, going to say that John was going to say Ernest goes to jail. Ernest goes to jail. No, I was <laughs> no, I was going to say the longest yard was one of my runner-ups. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Dennis, did you mention none? Yes. Okay. Yeah, that's a great one. Not Steve McQueen. So, yeah. so you guys are listing like all all these dramatic prison movies, and you're sitting here going, "I bet John chooses Ernest goes to jail." <laughs> like, that's right. What What are you trying to say? <laughs> John was quote John's quoting Hobbes within the first like three minutes of the thing. I'm like, oh my god. Right. Okay, so we just we just spent an hour and a half talking about the tenets of nihilism, and I'm quoting Thomas Hobbes Leviathan, and you're sitting here going, yeah, I, I bet don't... John chooses the earnest movie. <laughs> <laughs> the timeout quarter in kindergarten with the finger paints. Yeah. Well, question two is going to be near and dear to all of our hearts. Who's your favorite bald movie or TV character? Pat, I feel like you and I might have the same answer. I do, but I just went like completely blank, and I was like totally brainstorming. Why? Why am I going completely blank? I don't know. It's it's a toss up for me. Walter White from Breaking Bad or Jean Luc Picard. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. 
Mine was mine was Jean-Luc Picard. I, I threw a little Darth yes. Vader in there because he is technically bald underneath all that stuff. But I my two that I was kind of back and forth between are Captain Picard or mm-hmm. the Lex Luthor from the Superman animated series played by Clancy Brown. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Is there anybody bald in Ernest Goes to Camp? <laughs> you would know. <laughs> Lyle Alzado was eventually mm. too soon. <laughs> Professor Xavier. Yes. Yeah, you do probably yeah, Professor X. Pinhead from the Hellraiser movies. Mm-hmm. Which, by the way, I don't know if I mentioned this to you guys or not. New Hellraiser movie Pinhead is a female. And I haven't watched it yet. And it's on Hulu, which is owned by Disney, which means Pinhead is a Disney princess now. (laughs) Well played, John. I have actually seen it. I strongly recommend it. And it doesn't matter that Pinhead is a female or not because it's simply the Hell Priest. Okay. And it's actually much closer to the original novel. Okay. I haven't seen it yet. It's on my list to see. Yeah. That's on my, the movies that I really, really want to watch and I haven't seen yet are, I wanted to see the new Hellraiser and I wanted to see the new Predator movie that Prey. I have not watched that one yet, but it looks good. I want to watch it in the, uh, which, which native language is it that you can watch it in? Don't, don't, don't watch it's, that? It's, it's, poor, it's poorly dubbed. It's poorly oh, dubbed. It? Okay. All right. Yeah. Watch it. Watch it. The way you would normally watch watch okay. a movie, okay. and Prey is a ten out of ten. I would I would put it right up there with the original Predator. Okay. Okay. Oh, that's good to know. All right. Okay, so I'm did I'm you, missing a you, whole bunch. Of like, yeah, what? Who's your baldy? Well, I mean, like the like the list. I just I just did the Google, and it's like okay, Furiosa mm-hmm. from Fury Road, Okoye, who is one of my favorite Marvel characters. Like all these people, and then like. Hello, anybody that The Rock, well, not anybody, because sometimes The Rock has hair, but anything, anyone Jason Statham plays, right? So the transporter, I guess, of all his characters, that would have been my favorite. But uh, yeah, I don't, like I said, I just, I was, I was looking at these guys all, all day, but uh, just totally, totally drew a blank when it came time to list them. You're not going with Lieutenant Ilya from Star Trek, the motion picture? Yeah, Lieutenant Aaliyah, but I mean, as a like, awesome character, but as like a favorite character. Lobot. Lobot. Yeah, Lobot was good. Lobot was good. General Okoye is pretty cool. A lot of choices. A lot of choices. All right, question number three. Final question. What animal, so we did learn as a result of this movie that the Alien takes on some characteristics based on whatever type of creature it bursts out of, and they they kind of took this to the extreme a little bit with some of the toys that they released in the early 90s. There was a, was it called, was it going to be called Operation Alien? There was supposed to be a, a cartoon that was going to come out, and so they started to bring out a bunch of these toys of, like, they had the snake alien and the gorilla alien and the rhino alien and, like, all these alien animal hybrids and then in the comic books they started doing the same thing like if the alien 
burst out of a whale, then it was going to be like this aquatic alien thing or stuff like that. So what animal would you like to see a xenomorph animal hybrid of? An elephant. That'd be a good one. It would be terrifying, but it would be really slow moving. Does does it have a little mouth at the end of its trunk? Yeah, bonus bonus trunk. Does it it has a it has a smaller trunk that comes out of the normal trunk? Okay. <laughs> That's disturbing. It it is. It, it would absolutely be terrifying, but think of it would be the slowest moving xenomorph. Mm-hmm. You might be able to escape it. My daughter's choice was anteater. Like I don't even know where that came from, but I think it might have might have had something to do with the tongue thing, maybe. I don't know. Yeah, that was her choice. Not quite an animal, but I always liked in the comic books. I'm not 100% sure that I that I care for how it was done in the movie because I just try to ignore that movie. In the comic books, I did enjoy it one of the first times they ever showed an alien bursting out of a predator. And it was kind of a alien-predator mix that had the, had the little mandibles and all that. So that was kind of fun. The other one I will point out is I, I saw a picture of this, and I don't think I have it with me right now, so if you guys want to Google it at some point so you can see it. He has created an image of what would Kermit the Frog look like if he was an alien. <laughs> I saw this one online recently. It's, I saw that, and I laughed out loud and uh-huh. then found myself trying to scrub my brain. Yep. <laughs> my daughter yeah. was looking for Muppet stuff the other day, so I think I Googled it and I texted it to her. Yeah, that's okay. I mean, it's not easy being green, but mm-hmm. <laughs> not be as scary though. Smiling as he comes out. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, there's no hope for you. <laughs> and in space, no one can hear you scream. Mm-hmm. What animals you got? What do you want to mix? I, was, I thought it'd be interesting to see what a giraffe would look like. I just was thinking that would be weird because of the long neck. Mm-hmm. That'd be kind of creepy. Yeah. And then I was trying to figure out something that would fly. Yeah, flying. That that would be cool. Almost go kind of like the... An alien that could fly. Like, literally, yeah. I mean, like, like, just differently. Like, like an alien eagle or something? Yeah. Vulture. Oh, that'd be a good one. I did see so you could do like Google image searches for like alien hybrid type things. And like somebody had mixed, I think they had like a Jurassic Park alien hybrid. It was like a alien T-Rex yeah. or something like that. Yeah. So there's a whole bunch. If you, if you look on there, some people have done these pretty elaborate sketches and drawings of what these alien hybrids would look like. All right. Pat, did we get yours? Would look weird too. I, I, man, I don't know. How about a rancor, an alien rancor? That'd be fun. Does that count? That'd be fun. Yeah, you know, fine. I like the I like the flying approach. You know, give me something new. Like yeah. I could say, like, hey, an alien frog or something, or an alien turtle yeah. or something like that. But I mean, I think uh, give it give it kind of the spoilers, gremlins, gremlins two. Give it the gremlins two thing. You know, like show me, show me something, show me something new. I like that. That one I find intriguing. Yeah. A bat. 
I thought you'd alien bat. Alien bat. That'd be cool. They they definitely have one in that Kenner series that they came out with because I had okay one was there an alien bat? Okay. <laughs> yep. I remember. I think I had the rhino and I had the snake. I don't think I ever got the gorilla, and I and then I couldn't remember what other ones they had beyond that. Yep, I, I had quite a few of them. I don't yep. didn't have all of them, but my favorite one was the queen because she was pretty yes. big for that series. Yeah, mm-hmm. I have I have her sitting on a shelf over here somewhere. All right. Well, I think we I I would say we've done justice to alien three tonight. So if you have, if you have listened to this episode and you've thought, well, I've never seen alien three before and now I'm intrigued. I'd like to go watch it. Definitely try to seek out the assembly cut. Like if you can, if you can find that 2010 version that is the most up to date has as much of it kind of built back in as you can possibly find, that would be the one to watch. And, and I'm, I would really recommend, I think to get the full, experience of these movies you don't have to do it all in one day but i'd recommend watching them back to back i'd go watch alien watch aliens watch alien 3 and i think that really gives you a a good sense of how at least in my opinion a good sense of how i think that these are really good continuations of each other and why i really think that alien 3 is a great way a near perfect way to wrap up the alien trilogy. So if you have not found it yet, Dennis, I think you said you, you were on like Amazon prime and they have like all, all three versions. Or... The ones that are for free is the, 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 the theatrical release. I okay. didn't see the other ones. There is a special edition that might be, I don't know what the special edition means or what's yeah. the differences, but the assembly, I think you had to either rent for those right now. Okay. So right. at least Amazon prime. But I would also just throw in again, too, if you're somebody who back then already had your mind made up or you just don't remember, I think watching it a couple decades later, and like I think John said, putting in maybe one, two, three, or watching them in a relatively short time span within each other, I think that you'll, you'll, you might have a different perspective. So. Yeah. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, thank you, gents for being here with us. Thank you, Rob, especially for coming on. You've been on with the last, uh, the last two weeks with us for army of darkness and for alien three. So thank you. Yeah. We, we were looking forward to having yeah. you back on. Absolutely. Again, I was, I was looking for more of a knockdown drag out fight, but it sounds like we might have a convert and who knows what's going on at Pat's mind. I Pat, well, Pat stayed pretty quiet the whole time. So I think he's just going to try to like track us down and kill us in our sleep. Yeah, uh, that's right. See, that's the thing is you guys can't escape. Well, right. you, there's no, there's no you, hope. You think you think you've won. You think you've won, and then I'm going to attach to. Never mind. Let's just say. Yeah. Well, this is the first time I've seen it, so I'm kind of like, you know what I'm saying. But uh, well, yeah. I think I think that. And again, I'm not. It's pat, a good movie. It's a bat. good movie. I think that the. I think just our discussion. I think has enough empathy to understand why some people maybe did not like it, right. but also mm-hmm. makes the strong case of why you should like it. Mm-hmm. I think overall where it's not just like, Hey, you didn't like this. You're crazy. I get why you might not. And that just might've been what your perspective or frame of mind or what you were expecting or wish you could have gotten because we all want kind of that built in hopeful sort of rainbow ending, but it's like, that's not what this was all about. And once you kind of accept that, you know, you see the, 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 maybe the genius of it or the, at least the, the, the cohesiveness and, and, and sense of it, the logic of it all together then. And I think it fits yeah. I think I think we haven't just been like, oh, it's the great. 
we understand why some people had some restrictions. I, I, I was able to experience them both probably back then. And now I can experience on the other side of it. So, yeah. Yeah. All mm-hmm. right. Well, if you haven't already, go visit our website, 30podcast.com. We are also at 30podcast on most of the different social media stuff out there. The month of October, this is this is coming out on Halloween Day. So October is, this is it. No more October. So we are done with Horror Month. We are moving on into November. And in November, we've got our Patreon episodes are The King of Comedy. Rocky Three is one of our Patreon shorts. Black Adam from this year is another one of our Patreon shorts. And then our regular episodes for the month of November are Thunderheart, Malcolm X, Unforgiven, Chaplin, and A River Runs Through It. So got some good stuff coming up. It's almost the end of the year. We are already almost into 1993. Kind of hard to believe that. But uh, yeah, we are just marching right on ahead towards uh, December and towards 93. So once again... Thank you, everybody, for being here tonight. Had a really, really good time. This is, if I'm if I'm being completely honest, this is probably like one of my favorite discussions we've had in in a while on the podcast. Like we've had some good discussions, but like I really, really enjoyed this one. So it's fun to have a movie you can have a discussion about. You yeah. know what I'm saying? Like, yeah. And and one that I think a lot of people, for very different reasons and and some valid reasons, would probably write off and be like, "Well, it's Alien Three, whatever." But Look, we've been here for the last two hours talking about Alien Three, and and I, and I personally know know a couple of people who, when I told them that I was going to be joining you guys to talk about this, they were like, "Oh, well, well, I'm going to get some popcorn and listen to that discussion." I'm like, good, <laughs> yeah, go for good. it. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, we're going to set them straight. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, thank uh, you, everybody. Everybody, be excellent to each other. I, it's Halloween day, so happy Halloween. Go get some candy. Go watch some scary movies, and uh, we'll see you back here in November. 